0: Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray now that you would be gentle as you cut us with a, as a knife with your word and as your spirit searches us and sifts us and, um, and shows us the things in our hearts that, uh, that are not of you. God, we pray you would gently do that and that we would lovingly respond to you. And we pray that the word spoken would be completely uh, what you would have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the armor of God or and learning about spiritual warfare and how God has uh, awesome, he's done an awesome job at equipping us. And so, two weeks ago, we studied the belt of truth and we learned, we learned about how we can know the truth when Satan attacks because Satan always attacks with what? Lies. Good answer. I don't know who said it, but you were right. He always attacks with lies. And we talked about all the different kinds of fallacies and lies out there. But we don't have to know what the lie is. We just have to know the truth. And so God says, read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day and you'll be protected from Satan's attacks, from being tricked by a lie. Then last week we studied the breastplate of righteousness. It was a bulletproof vest for our hearts or our emotions. And it, the question was, how can we control or guard our emotions when Satan is attacking us? Because he loves to shoot his arrows right in your back and hit your emotions. He's great at doing that. He loves doing it. But he can't do it when we're not trusting in Jesus, when we're not trusting in our own righteousness, but we're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. So that's why God gives us a breastplate of righteousness, Jesus' righteousness that is impenetrable. He did nothing wrong, and God has given that to us so that we're protected. And so when Satan tries to get you down and get you feeling like I've sinned and I can't come to God or I'm depressed or I'm feeling all these different emotions because of sin, you can be protected from that. By simply saying, no, Jesus is right, I am wrong, and my job is then to confess it, to confess sin and just say, I'm a sinner, I I know that, God, you know that, but God, here's my life, you protect me, God, Jesus, give me your righteousness. And today, we're going to learn about how can you have peace in this world when it's going crazy all around you. Or even better, how can you have peace and consistency in the middle of Satan's non-stop onslaught of attacks? How can we not be shaken by these attacks? I'm gonna read you a story that was told by Barrett Kios. Long ago a man sought the perfect picture of peace, not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation arrived, and the judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another. While the viewers clapped their hands and cheered, and the tensions grew, only two pictures remained veiled. As the judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of an evening sky. It's a lot of adjectives. Along a grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. The man with the vision uncovered the second painting himself. And the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd almost could feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. And in the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks on the edge of the waterfall. On one of its branches rested, or one of its branches, excuse me, reached forward uh, with, into the torrential waters, foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest on this branch, and content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. And I love that story. And it brings us to the verse that we have today, which is Ephesians 6.15. It says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, there is a storm brewing all around us, but as we shod or put on, basically, these, these uh, sandals or shoes or boots of the preparation of the gospel of peace, God is going to give us something that, that cancels out everything else. And we'll get into that. Now, when someone first reads this verse, uh, a lot of times they think in their mind, well, this, this equates to the verse in uh, Isaiah that says, uh, blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. All right, And so they get in their mind that um, we need to be spreading the word, and that's what this is talking about. In the armor of God, you got these feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, so you got to be ready to go out and share the gospel of peace wherever you're going, which is a good thing, but that's not the context of this. Paul is actually talking about spiritual warfare, and that's why it's so important for us to understand context when we're studying the word of God. Because the Bible can say some wonderful things, but if you take them out of context, you're missing out on the true meaning of what the word of God would have to say to you, and you're missing out on a blessing. So we have to be super careful. Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. He's describing defensive armaments that he has given us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that. So it's not preaching necessarily right now that Paul is talking about. It's still defensive. And what this is, What this preparation of the gospel of peace is, I'm going to give you the definition. I'm going to give it to you a couple times. It's on your notes so you can fill this out. This is the solid, confident, and sure footing that comes from a life that is committed to living with and through Jesus. Let me read that again. This is the solid, confident, and sure footing that comes to a life that is committed to living with and through Jesus. One more time for good measure. This is the solid, confident, and sure footing that comes to a life that is committed to living with and through Jesus. And so as Paul has been using these armors to describe uh, our spiritual uh, life that God has given us and protections, he's been using that Roman soldier. And we looked at the the belt that connected all their armor together. And we looked at the breastplate that protect their vital organs and their heart. And today we're going to look at these, the sandals that they would use. And so they would have these sandals and they would have these straps that would come all the way up their calves and they would hold them securely on and they would have these thick soles on the bottom and so they would be secure so they wouldn't move around when they were in battle about ready to swing it'd be bad if you slipped and then cut your friend's head off it would not good but they would they would be secure and then they'd have these really thick soles because what they would do back in the day, they'd take these little sharp, uh, these little sticks and they'd, they'd make them real sharp. They'd carve them up, and then they'd stick them in the ground where they, and they knew their enemy was coming. It was like the landmines of back in the day. And so that you'd step, and if you stepped on that, you'd be incapacitated. You'd not able to fight. Not, you would be a lame soldier after that. And so they would have these thick soles to protect them from the landmines of the day. So the main point though of having these was so you could stand firm so you had firm footing they're not really for running you know the roman soldiers were were good and they were mobile and stuff like that but the point of these sandals was not for running they weren't nikes okay they were they were firm standing shoes okay they were for stability they were for warfare for fighting for consistency and for reliability and they weren't cheap. The Roman government paid a high price to equip their soldiers with good, firm shoes. Because they didn't want soldiers that were running away. They wanted soldiers that were going to stand there. All right, so our verse tells us that we should shod our feet. We should put these sandals on our feet. And what they are is they're, they're the preparation, it says. And so I want to define that for us. The word preparation means a firm, solid, or pre planned foundation, a pre-planned foundation. This is something we need to apply before the battle. It's the opposite of being wishy-washy. It's not being carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's not compromising for the sake of unity or political correctness. It's not falling or tripping in your walk with God because of a trial or circumstance every time that satan comes along he knows that for you it just takes this little push and you fall right over and you're no good in the rest of the fight it's not walking on ice and slipping down and i was gonna like download one of those videos on youtube of everyone slipping on ice it would have been i was having fun looking at them but why do we laugh when people slip on i don't know it's funny though so The exhortation for us today, here's the question for you. Are you going to put your foot down and stand? Are you going to determine now to trust the good news of what Jesus has already done for you? Are you going to decide today to faithfully stand before the trials come into your life? And as you're considering those questions, turn in your Bible to the book of Judges. All the way back in the Old Testament, the book of judges before first and second kings before chronicles before samuel deuteronomy joshua judges judges chapter 6 we're going to spend a little time looking at this guy named gideon but think about these questions are you going to stand firm the troubles coming satan has not. there is no time out when my boys and i play tag there's always timeout or base if they're touching base you can't get them at that time and that doesn't exist in our spiritual lives satan when you're down and you're having a bad day guess what he loves it and he's going to jump on your back and make it worse he is going to come after you so are you going to decide today that you're going to stand firm in the battle you're going to stand firm trusting in what jesus has done or not yourself well when we get to Judges chapter 6 we we see the nation of Israel is in their promised land. They're living there. They're having an okay time except for these darn Midianites. These Midianites for 6 or 7 years have been have been persecuting and have been afflicting the nation of Israel. And what they'd done is they had kind of moved into the caves up in the mountains, and Israel was down in the valleys. Israel had the good land where they were farming, and, and they had the cities, and they were doing all right. They were kind of, but the Midianites were being a pain in the butt. They were coming out at night, and they were burning their crops. And they were messing up all their stuff. And so it was like this pain, this constant affliction, and it was causing the um the nation of israel to be hungry and to be poor and to have a lack and that is certainly not what god had intended for them not that god doesn't want us to be poor in our life today but god had designed a, a way for them their needs to be taken care of and these midianites were coming against that and so god raised up gideon to deliver the people of israel god's people from this uh, enemy but it's really interesting how he did it. It says in verse 11 of chapter 6, the angel of the Lord came and sat under a tabernacle tree, which was an oprah, Ophrah, not oprah. She had a tree back there, anyway. <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Aborazite. Aber, while the, while the, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Okay, so here's an interesting situation. Gideon is a Jew, and he's, he's got his wheat, and he's threshing it, which is what the Jews would do. That, that's how you got your wheat separated from the chaff. It's, it's how you got the seeds out of the wheat you would thresh it. you throw it up in the air and the wind would blow away the, the, the chaff and the seeds would fall to the ground, okay? And then you'd beat it some more and then you'd throw it up in the air and the breeze would just take it away. It was a real. That's how they would get the grain so that they could make their bread and be happy and eat. So Gideon, he's doing it in a wine press, which is not what you're supposed to do. It was incredibly inefficient. There's no breeze. And a wine press was this circular... Uh, room that you would stomp on the grapes to make wine and there would be not a lot of breeze that got in there and so he's he's in there being inefficient he and it says that he is afraid of the midianites you know he's afraid of the enemy seeing his crops his his work he's afraid of the enemy seeing his work he's afraid of losing what god has already given him this is really interesting it's going to come back as we see this okay he's living in a place of fear and he's not being very productive and it's not he's not really being a great leader but God comes to him the angel of the Lord which is a term for when Jesus would appear in the Old Testament It's called a Christophany Jesus would show up in bodily form as the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord and he'd have conversations with various people so we're here we have Jesus showing up and telling Gideon Hey, you're a mighty man of valor. You don't even know what God has is going to do with you and going to do in you and all that God has given you through his grace. He's done it for you already. You are a mighty man of valor and Gideon's like, do you see what's going on right now? Because I'm not experiencing any of that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of people seeing my work and what I can bring to the table. I can't lead anyone. Well, a little bit later on in verse 22, Gideon perceived that he was with the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Jehovah Shalom. And to this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Aberazites. So God has all kinds of craziness in store for little, little Gideon right now. Little G, we'll call him. <laughs> and But first, he needs Gideon to know something about his character, who he is. And so he has this conversation with them. They have a meal together. And Gideon starts to get to know something special about God's character. And what is is that? It's that God is peace. That he provides peace and that he wants to provide peace in your life and in Gideon's life. It's a very important character trait that we need to understand. And Gideon is going to need this peace in a big way, just like we are this peace, so Gideon what was he he was afraid that he had seen God and that God had come to kill him or or that God was going to be disappointed in what he saw in Gideon but was Jesus disappointed in what he saw in Gideon no he wasn't am I disappointed yes I think Gideon could have been doing a lot better job what do you mean you're threshing wheat in a wine press you goober Get out there and do. take care of your family. Don't be hiding in there. But Jesus isn't. Jesus is not disappointed. Jesus sees what will be, and he sees that we're on the road, and he's not concerned about where on the road we're at because he knows we're going to get there. He knows he's going to take us there. And that relationship is called peace. Well, we're not worried about impressing God anymore. This is the gospel of peace that we have. That we're not so worried about that God is coming to destroy us. That God is coming disappointed in us. But we're just willing to accept that God wants to sit down and eat a meal with us. And then God wants to start using us. And look at Gideon's response. He builds an altar and he calls the altar, God is peace. God is peace. So he knows something about this now. He knows something about God that's really important, that's going to help him stand with some crazy stuff coming up. So Gideon begins standing up for righteousness. He begins to stand for righteousness in in his father's house. His father had an altar to a foreign god, and Gideon starts tearing down altars, and he starts doing stuff, and people start getting mad at him. Gideon starts saying, I care about doing what's right now. And so the Lord begins to use him greatly. You know, the Lord came to him and said, I believe in you, Gideon. I got a plan for you. And Gideon said, you know what? All right, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to start standing up for what's right. The Lord starts to use him greatly. And Gideon, he wants to know for sure that it's God speaking to him, that he's just not being crazy. So he does this whole fleece thing that, that you may remember, the Gideon's fleece, where he puts out a fleece to hear that God is really going to use him. And that's okay. God starts answering him. But that's not what we're talking about today. So Gideon then in chapter 7, he starts raising up an army. He says, all right, God, you were going to use me to get rid of these Midianites. I'm going to get an army up. So he sends messengers all out uh, throughout the land of Israel. And 30,000 people answer the call. Now, there's over 150,000 Midianites. But they get 30,000 to answer this call to say, we're going to expel all these Midianites. And so... They're still vastly outnumbered, 100, basically 135,000 plus others to their 30,000. But Gideon's like, you know what? I'm not afraid because God is my peace. God is my peace. So we get then to Judges chapter, uh, Where let's go to, let's go to verse, or chapter 7. Let's start in verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in the morning and camped beside the well of Herod, so uh, that all the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 people returned, and 10,000 remained. Wow. Wow. God says, he looks at the 30,000 against the 150,000, and he says, You know what, Gideon? you got way too many here because they're not gonna recognize my miracle. They're not gonna recognize my power if you have any strength at all. If there's any reason for them to think that they did it, I'm not gonna get the glory. And that's really what this is about. There's a reason why God does things the way he does them. There's a reason why it's by grace and not by our works. Let's say you have two people. One person pleases God, does the right thing, by simply trusting the Lord. He says, I'm gonna, I, I love you, God, and I, I, I trust you, and I'm just going to spend time with you, confess my sin to you, I'm going to have a living relationship with you. And so he's pleasing the Lord, okay? Starts to live a righteous life, starts to do the things that God would have a believer to do. Over here you have someone who's like, I'm going to put effort, and I'm going to put trying, and I'm going to do all these things that I know God wants to see. And when I do them, I'm going to say, ha-ha, look at me. Look, I, I was able to do it. None of you jokers did it. And that's, that's that way. And God says, that does not glorify me, and it will not be done that way. That's the way of the law. That's the way of my efforts. It doesn't work. God's way does work. All right? So he, he lays forth that principle. He says, I'm going to get the glory. And then he says, whoever's afraid, we're not going to use you. Why? Because if you're afraid, you're not going to stand in the day of battle. And God needs some soldiers that are going to stand. And he says, if you're afraid, you know, I don't know what they were afraid of. Maybe they had pelodophobia, which is the fear of bald people. I don't know. Maybe they had aerophobia, which is the fear of drafts.'" Maybe they had poriphophobia, which is the fear of the color purple. Maybe Midian had cur- purple shirts on or something. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of other funny fears that you can, you can go into. I'm sure you guys have all heard of. There's the, the aurora fear, fear, which is the fear of the northern lights. It's creepy when those show up, huh? Or, uh, I don't know, sta- stabilizophobia, which is the fear of standing or walking which is really what they had. They were afraid to stand in the day of battle because they didn't, they didn't have the right shoes on. They weren't prepared with the gospel of peace. They were trying to impress God with how they could stand instead of preparing themselves with the armor that he gives this gospel of peace. Peace in the middle of a battle Calmness, confidence, that's what God offers us. Not fear, not confusion. That is not what God is doing in our lives. It's not what He offers us. And God keeps taking uh, guys away, and He still has peace to offer Gideon. He takes them down from 30,000 to 10,000 and down all the way to 300. Only 300 guys are left. And Gideon's like, Are you sure, God? And God's like, look in your heart. What have I given you? And Gideon's like, peace. All right. I know you're the God of peace. You've given that to me, and I'm ready to rock with these 300 people. So Gideon, he's like, let's go. Let's do this. He sneaks into the camp of the Midianites, and he overhears two people talking about a dream that they had. And the dream was that this, this uh Uh, thing of wheat rolled into the camp of the Midianites and destroyed them all. And the guy, one guy next to the dream, uh, next to the other who had the dream, he's like, you know what that is? That's the sword of Midian or Gideon to kill us all. And Gideon's like, what? Who even knows my name? This is crazy. How are these two Midianites afraid of me? And that's really interesting that the Midianites are afraid of Gideon. Notice, while God is giving Gideon peace about going to war with the Midianites, God is giving the Midianites a fearful and trembling heart. God was to the Israelites a source of peace, and to the enemies of Israel, he's a source of dread. It's amazing. An enemy of God has no peace. A friend of God. God gives peace to that's going to come back in just a minute but God gives him a battle plan God comes to Gideon he says here's the plan I'm going to give you some pots and some torches put the torches in the pots go around them break them and yell and Gideon's like are you sure I didn't learn that at my army school that was not one of our verified strategies that work but this just speaks to giving God glory Gideon's, God says, Gideon, I'm going to use you and I'm going to get the glory and it's going to be awesome. Here's how. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. See, when we are trusting the Lord and we're doing his plan and we have then, his power is able to flow through us It's really exciting. It's really amazing to see that I was able to be victorious and I was at peace at this crazy thing going on in my life because I just trusted the Lord and now his power is seen in my life. It's amazing. God gives the victory. God gets the glory. God is faithful when you are with him. Needless to say, Gideon takes his 300. They they get their pots. They get their, their torches. They surround them. Then they break open their pots. The torches light up. And God has all the Midianites just kill each other. And a great victory is brought. Which is exactly what happens when we're with the Lord. When his treasure is in our hearts. We always win. Always. We win with peace. It's amazing. The gospel says we're supposed to prepare ourselves with the gospel. The gospel basically says a wicked person can be made righteous through faith, that a person can be cleaned, connected, and enveloped by Jesus. So the gospel of peace leads us to understand that peace is a byproduct of the gospel being a reality in your life. We don't seek peace. We seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. We put on these shoes by seeking the Lord, by being connected with the Lord, by being made right in his eyes. And that puts these shoes on, and these shoes are then the gospel of peace. We then just have peace. But in Isaiah 48, 22, God says, There is no peace for the wicked. He repeats it again in Isaiah 57:21. There is no peace for the wicked. What does that mean? that if I don't have an internal peace about the battle that I'm in, that it's my fault, that I'm doing something wrong, something wicked, something evil? Yes. In a way, yes. It is your fault. You've decided to believe a lie rather than live according to the truth of the gospel. And I'll I'll unfold this for us. In Christ, we're righteous. That's what the gospel says. In Jesus, you are righteous. Apart from him, we are evil. That's just the truth of the gospel. Evil people made righteous by Jesus. So, there will be no peace apart from him apart from the reality of the gospel alive in our hearts. And maybe you've believed the gospel for a long time, but there's things in your life that you're refusing to let that gospel govern you. You're refusing to say, no, Jesus will provide his grace in this area of my life. He will make this righteous And if we are doing that, we're living according to the lie. Even though we may believe it in our hearts for our sin and say, okay, I know that God has saved me, but in this battle, in this area, I'm going to refuse to trust him. And that's going to lead us to have no peace. You can go backwards too. And you can say, well, I don't have peace here. Well, what does that mean? We need to come back and experience the gospel a little bit in our heart. We need to come back and have a conversation with two about the Lord. Again, putting on these armor things that we've been talking about are not suggestions. We must do this. The belt of truth. We have to read the word all the time, guys. If you don't, you will fall. Pants on the floor, you'll trip. No belt on, doesn't work. You'll be believing lies. That's how you'll trip. So you got to be in the word. The breastplate of righteousness, we have to confess. We have to confess and receive his gift of righteousness. If you don't, you'll fall from emotional attacks. Your heart will give out. You won't be able to go on any longer. And the sandals or the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, we need to be at peace in every battle. We need to be at peace. Every attack of the enemy, you got to be standing peaceful ready to go if not you will run away you will flee in fear or at least you'll slip and fall if you don't have the solid foundation of your relationship with god and the gospel is the practical story of how god saved us how god loves us excuse me how god loves us it's that he does everything for us he makes us true and turn with me to first john chapter 4 verse 18. And it's amazing. I got to tell you the story is that we were, we were praying this morning and someone in the prayer group read this verse. And we're talking about it today. And they had no idea we were going to talk about today, but we prayed this verse over a lot of things having to do with our, our church family today. And so I, have, I really believe this is really important for us. I don't even know how God is going to use this, but are you ready to see what God does? He says in 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love has not been made perfect in love so why do we need to put on these shoes these sandals of of the preparation of the gospel of peace, because God wants you to be able to stand. And how do I put these shoes on? I remember God's love, that this is all about God's love. It's gonna do the job of casting fear. Basically, Jesus kicks fear out of your heart. He's saying, I'm living here, you get out. Wah, Judy Chow. And what does he replace it with? Peace. They can't exist in the same place. Fear and peace. And Jesus says, if I'm here, it's going to be peace. I'm going to kick fear out. That's why there's no, the, the wicked can't have peace, true peace. They might lie to you and say, oh, I, I love being where I'm at. I love being wicked. It's awesome. But I'm telling you, in their heart, there is a sea storm brewing. And it's not okay. But we can be okay. There is always peace with Jesus. Peace, it's been said commonly, the peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but rather the confidence that he is there with you always. Which is interesting. Because in Jesus' life, this is played out for us in such a vivid, I mean unadulterated way that we're going to look at in, in the book of John, chapter 14. Jesus is just about to get arrested He's just about to go on trial, a false trial, where he's accused of all kinds of terrible things. He's about to be beat, have his beard plucked out, and have just destroyed physically. And then he's about to be crucified, which is 10 million times worse than all of that because the wrath of God the Father is about to be poured out on him, the wrath that God feels for all the sin of the world, every sin, every murder, every abuse, every bad thing. All that God felt of, that's wrong, that's not what I created this world for. This is not how it's supposed to be. I am love and I do not accept that as being okay. All that wrath is about to be poured out on Jesus. So Jesus has, it, it's about to get real in his life. He's about to experience a major trial and tribulation. And what does he say in John 14, 27? He says, peace I leave with you my peace I give you not as the world gives do I give you so let not your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful which means you have a choice you can accept something that I'm gonna give you I don't give it like the world gives it the world gives something they expect something back Jesus says I'm just gonna give it to you and you can take it or leave it and I'm gonna love you the same way whether you take it Or leave it I'm just gonna give it and it's always gonna be available to you this peace is not you don't have to earn it in no way it's a gift completely what do you have to do receive it he says let not your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful you don't have to have any fear you don't have to have any trouble going on inside every attack of Satan everything going on in your life you can have peace It is offered to you by Jesus. Not by coming to church, not by reading your Bible, by Jesus. He'll give it to you. It's amazing. Continues on. He says, You've heard it said uh, that I said to you, I'm going to go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. Satan's attacks, they're coming. In Jesus' life, for sure. And in our lives as well. And he, but he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and the Father has gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise and let us go from here. These are the most manly, amazing verses in the Bible. Jesus is saying, things are about to get totally real in my life, and I'm not running away. I am not running away. In fact, I'm running towards it. Let's get up and go. Bring it on, Satan. What do you got for me? What do you have for me? I am not afraid. I'm running towards the battle, and I'm running towards God, my Father. He has given me this command. He's he's purposed that I go through this, and so I'm going to go through it because I love him. I love him. It's about my relationship with him. That's why I'm running towards it. And I think we would be shocked if we saw the look on Jesus' face when he said these words. When he said, peace, I'm giving you. It's my peace. How would he say that? How would he say that without demonstrating completely with just total calmness, confidence, not afraid, saying, guys, Satan is going to come, and he's going to beat me up, and he's going to tear me down. It is going to be awful, and all of you guys are going to run away, afraid. But look at me. I'm all about it. Let's go. I can do this. I'm going to stand because I love my father. If we just saw that, if we saw how his flesh wanted to freak out, To freak out, to flip out and say, I can't do this. I can't be away from my father. I can't pay for the sin of all the world. I can't do all these things. His flesh wanted to, I guarantee it. But how he stayed in that place of trusting his father. Just saying, no, I believe my father's love for me. And if God has something, if my father has decided I go through this, then I'm going to go through it. I'm going to do it. And it's not going to destroy my relationship with the Father. He knows the battle is coming. He says the rule of this world is on his way. And he's bringing all of hell with him to attack me. And all y'all are going to leave me anyway. I'm on this on my own. And he says, arise, let's go? What? What an amazing verse. What an powerful verse standing firm that Jesus demonstrated for us. He says, I know I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to stand firm in what I know about God, that he is peace, that he loves me, that he has a plan for me, that he's with me. I have peace. I have a solid foundation. I didn't try to get it. It's just the byproduct of my relationship with my father. That's what happens when you follow the Lord, Jesus would say. Two chapters later, after a bunch of talking with his disciples, in John chapter 16, verse 32, he says, Behold, the hour is coming and and has already come. Here we go, he's saying. For you will be scattered, each one to his home, and you'll leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, tribulation. but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Trouble is coming, he says, from Satan and from everything else. Trouble is coming. The world is like a swimming pool filled with muck and mud, and we're all on the diving board about to plunge in. Or maybe you're already swimming in it. Amen. You got, probably got that more. You will have tribulation. You have tribulation. But Jesus says, take courage. Take it. It's offered for free. Take it. You can stand. Why? Oh, because you're strong enough. You can do it. No, all of you should have just been throwing tomatoes at No." That is not what he says. He did not say, you're strong enough that you can do it. But that's exactly what our school system tells us. That's exactly what the world and their psychologists tell us, is build up your own self-confidence, your own self-abilities, and it destroys our ability to actually have peace. Jesus says, no, I have overcome the world. Not you. I have overcome the world. I have done it. It is in me that you have peace. If you want it. If you want it, you may have it. Look at what Jesus points to as the reason for his confidence, and his peace, and his comfort. He said in John chapter 16, it's because my Father is with me. It's because my Father is with me. His relationship Because relationship is always the avenue through which God's grace flows into our life. God's blessings flow into our life through relationship. And it's so sad. In so many churches, they are trying to encourage you, saying, oh, you want us to have God bless you? Then make sure you go to church. Make sure you read your Bible. Make sure you do this, do this, do this, and do this. And there's a whole list of things that you should do to have God bless you and and they're actually keeping you from his blessings it's through relationship and it's not a relationship however based on what we bring God God look how hard I tried. look how much I wanted look how well I performed never a relationship based on that it's a relationship with God based on humility and faith Jesus here he demonstrates both of those even for Jesus Jesus didn't earn this peace it was a byproduct of God being with him. God's blessing, God's grace flowing through his relationship. He demonstrated humility when he said, I accept what God has for me. I accept it. I accept my tribulations. I accept my trials. God wants me to die on the cross, so I accept it. God wants me to be abandoned by all my friends, so I accept it. God wants me to be married to this goober, so I know. I know that's what was going through your mind, so. No, we do need to accept what God has for us. It's humility. Anyone in here rich? No. How many of you complain about that? We've got to accept what God has for us. It shows humility. Just like Jesus demonstrated. Secondly, Jesus demonstrates faith. He says, I am not alone. How does he know? Could he see God the Father? No. Did it look like God was really working on his behalf right now? Were any miracles happening? Were soldiers who were attacking him just dropping dead? No. No. He knew he was not alone by faith. Because God had told him, I will never leave you or forsake you. And even though you're going through crud, and even though you're going to go through the worst thing any human's ever gone through. I'm going to be with you, but I can't see it. But I can't feel you, God. God has promised that he would be with him in his word, and Jesus trusted God's word, which is how blessing, the blessing of peace flowed into his life. So many times we struggle with what we're going through, And we want to feel or see God do something. And God has already promised you that he's with you. But it's not good enough for you. And God's like, how could I not be good enough for you? I have given you my son. I have promised that I love you and I've demonstrated it by his death on the cross. How do you dare accuse me of not being there for you? I am there for you. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You can have peace if you believe that, if you trust it. Humility and faith, do you see how they work together? No one ever earns their peace, but they get it through this grace. The gospel of peace is is that we have perfect peace in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are not at war with him any longer. But we are in a war, aren't we? We are certainly in a war, but here's the, what we're going to leave you on today, is that we are winning. Winning. Satan can't do anything about it. He can't do anything. I'm going to read some verses and comment briefly on them. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil. So what's Jesus going about doing right now? Destroying the devil. When someone loses really bad in a football game, and say, oh, they got destroyed. Well, Jesus is going to town on the devil, destroying them and release those who were through fear of death all their lifetime subject to bondage. 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So not only is Jesus just destroying the devil himself, he also is going to destroy all the works of the devil, all the lies that have caused us to fall, all of that stuff. Jesus is just like, I'm going to town on it. I'm going to devastate it. I'm going to destroy it. That's his word, destroy. Romans 16, 20. This is the best one. This one makes me smile every time I read it. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. That's what it literally says. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. And in 8:37 Romans he says in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus through him who loved us. There is a winning side. There is a line in the sand and you want to be standing firm on the right side of that line. To stand there is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how you stand. Standing with him is equal, just standing with Jesus is equal to stomping on the head of Satan. That's why I call this sermon Big Old Biker Boots of Peace. Because I just picture these boots standing firm in my relationship and seeing Satan and just, ah! I love it, so manly. But girls, you can do it too. There can be biker girls, it's okay. No judgment. No racial. Let's make this really practical, okay? Are you at peace in every trial? Does Satan ever manage to push you off your game? To doubt God's love or God's plan? Do you say, bring it on to whatever Satan can throw at you because you know the truth of the gospel and you know the God who has promised you that he's with you? That's, this is where it... it comes down to it in your life people tell me i shouldn't say bring it on to satan but i could care less i hate him and i want to stomp on his measly ugly little face with my boots of jesus i want that i want to go after him with this i want him to be afraid to attack me in my family i want him to be scared saying dude every time i attack them they go pray i hate them i'm just going to stay away from them that's right resist the devil and he will what right even death does not scare us that verse in hebrew says in hebrews 2:15, uh, 15 and release those who were through fear of death all their lifetime subject to bondage What can Satan do? Oh, he could kill me. All right. Bring it on. That's where we're at, guys. Are we afraid of death? Are you afraid of death? This world is terrified to die. They're saving people's brains in refrigerators because they want to somehow figure out a way not to die. And I have peace. I have it. Bring it on. Are you afraid to die? I can't answer that for you. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of Satan's attacks? Are you afraid that he's going to push you? Are you afraid of the consequences of sin or sickness? Are you afraid? Guys, fear is not from your father. Fear is a flashing light on the dashboard of your soul that you need to come and have a conversation with Jesus or two. That's what fear is. His love, his perfect love, will cast out your fear. He'll kick it to the curb like a bad hitchhiker. Fear is like the nauseous stomach of the soul, and it will be expelled, and it needs to be expelled. And you'll always feel better afterwards. You guys feel better after you throw up? When I was two years old, I... I don't know where my dad was, but I was at home, and I climbed up on top of the refrigerator, and I ate an entire bottle of those, vita- those gummy vitamins. Not gummy, uh, Care Bears vitamins. I thought they were candy. And I ate an entire bottle of these. My dad came home and saw the bottle like tipped over on top. I didn't hide it very well. I was two. Come on. Uh, but it was up there, and he's like, oh, no. And he's like, John, what'd you do? And I was like, I ate some candy. And he's like, oh, no. So he he brings me into the bathroom, and he takes his finger, sticks him down my throat to make me throw up. And I still remember. I remember this. It was all rainbow-colored. It was all rainbow-colored throw up. It was disgusting. And then they took me to the hospital, and they make you eat uh, coal. Is it coal, I think? I don't know. Who's who's the nursing name? Yeah, charcoal. uh, So uh, that was, I felt better after I threw it up. Actually, I wasn't feeling that bad. I don't know. I was two. Who cares? But after fear is expelled, after that happens, after our relationship with Jesus just takes it all out, and we're not afraid anymore, and you're just like, you know what? I don't care what life throws at me. I don't care what Satan tries to do. I'm okay with Jesus. I believe that He loves me. Then you can stand. You'll have a solid foundation, no slipping, no being pushed over when challenged. And you'll never be running from a fight because you'll always be more than a conqueror. So would you guys put on those big old biker boots of God's peace? They're big and sturdy, and they mine have spikes on the bottom. And let's dance on the head of some snakes our enemy stands no chance he can't push you over he can't even knock you down when you're in Jesus Christ let's all stand Jesus Lord we come to you and God we thank you so much Lord that there is no part of you that wants us to fear and God we know that for freedom to come in our lives we need to confess Lord, and, and so right now I just take step number one and confess, Lord, that I've been afraid of many things in my life. I've been dominated by fear. I've not stepped out when I should have in fear. I've been pushed over by Satan in fear. And God, I just say no more to that. I will believe, God, that you love me and that you are with me. You're my deliverer. You are my, my God, my Father, who's never going to let me down. Lord, I desire to follow you closely. And if you're in here today and you have never made the decision to follow Jesus, to accept his free gift of eternal life that he bought for you on the cross, and you have lived your whole life and somehow it's been always, oh, I know Jesus, and I know I'm supposed to do something, but it's never been so clear to you that you need to accept him. You need to accept his gift and ask him to be the Lord of your life. I pray today is that day. And you can pray a prayer like this and just say, Jesus, I believe that you have paid the price that my sin earned. You have paid the price for all sin. I believe that. And I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would rescue me and you would give me your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to turn away from my way of doing things, my way of trying to earn God's favor, and I will just accept your free gift of eternal life. I will believe and follow you. My life now belongs to you because my heart belongs in you. Oh, how wonderful it is that we should be called children of God. And he who has that hope in himself purifies himself. God, thank you for the work that you are doing in our church and in our lives. God, just kick fear out of us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.